Well, good morning again, Zoe Church. We are so glad uh, to be together this morning. Uh, I wanna welcome those of you who are here for the very first time as well. Uh, maybe you were invited or maybe you just found the stream online. We're glad that you get to participate in this Easter celebration together. Now, obviously things are a little different. Uh, we're not able to be in the room together. You know, uh, Easter is usually the biggest day where everybody wants to come and celebrate together. And, and it's not exactly that way, but we still want the chance to feel like we get to see each other. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody, if you can, take a picture of yourself, take a picture of your family. It doesn't matter if you're wearing your PJs, it doesn't matter if you're wearing your Easter best. Uh, you could take a picture just in front of the screen watching the live stream. I don't care, but take a picture and post it to Facebook or Instagram and tag Zoe Church. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna find as many of those as we can and share those on our page. So at least we get to see each other a little bit on this Easter, all right? Uh, well, we are here celebrating Easter. And I don't know about you, but there's certain things I think about on Easter. Easter seems to be the season of pastel colors, you know? I don't really like pastel colors. I don't like peach, but for some reason, that's a color that shows up at Easter. Uh, but maybe you think about things like this, like dying Easter eggs. Some of you maybe are gonna do that today. Maybe you already did that. Uh, maybe you're gonna have an Easter egg hunt around your home. I don't know. But there's something else I think about at Easter, and that's the peeps. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think anybody is indifferent on a peep. You either love peeps or you hate them, okay? I think they're disgusting. They're cute, but they're disgusting. But we all know this isn't what Easter is about. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. It is the day we take every year to commemorate Jesus raising from the dead. But you see, it's not just Easter that's all about the resurrection. The truth is Christianity hangs on the resurrection. Paul talked about this. You know who Paul is. Paul was a guy who was trying to kill all the Christians. See, he didn't think Christianity was the right thing and he was trying to end this thing. And he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. It wasn't because somebody convinced him, it's because he saw Jesus and he went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to becoming the greatest advocate and missionary the world has ever known. And when Paul talks about the resurrection, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. You see, so often we think that Christianity is built on a belief system, on some values, some rituals, going to church, right? Sure, we believe some things, absolutely. But at its core, Christianity hangs on an event. With it, all things are possible. Without it, as Paul says, it's useless. And in fact, Paul would say, you gotta throw the whole thing out. So with this in mind, have you ever found it weird that we celebrate an entire holiday and in fact, the entire faith of Christianity is built on an event that none of us have ever witnessed before, right? I don't know about you, but I have never seen anybody raised from the dead. Maybe you've lived a far more exciting life than I have. So why would we build our faith on something like this? At face value, it seems kind of ridiculous. Like I consider myself a thinker, I consider myself to be logical, I consider myself to be a reasonable guy, but this doesn't seem reasonable, or does it? 
You see, if Christianity or our faith was just about a belief system, then there would be nothing that's verifiable about it. But what I love about our faith in Jesus is that it isn't just grounded in some vague belief system, but it is grounded in a verifiable event. What do I mean? First, we have witnesses of the resurrection. How do we know that an event has actually occurred? These days, Instagram. (laughs) If it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen. But for the majority of history, there was no Instagram. How did people know things happen? What would happen is someone would see something, they would experience something, and then they would write about it. See, this is what we have in our New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament is full of followers who witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you'll probably say, well, of course the Bible says that, right? The Bible invented the whole thing. You see, that's a misunderstanding of what the Bible is. You see, the Bible didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection caused the Bible. It wasn't like a bunch of people just got together and said, hey, let's come up with some crazy story. We'll write this story about this guy and bada bing, bada boom. You've got the New Testament. If that's how the New Testament was written, I think it would be a little more cohesive than what we actually have. But you see, that's not what happened. The goal when assembling the New Testament of our Bible was to find the writings of those who had actually seen Jesus. You see, our New Testament is made up of letters and documents from firsthand witnesses and their close associates. These are people who saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. See, the Bible didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection caused the Bible. And and I would say this, without the resurrection, there is no the Bible as we know it today. See, more than those who wrote the New Testament, there were so many witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. See, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He wrote about this and he explained all the people who had seen this Jesus. He said, Jesus, he appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Cephas is Peter. Do you remember Peter, right? He was the guy who was with Jesus. He followed him, all those kind of things. He said, Jesus, I will die for you. And then his life came on the line a little bit. People started to say, hey, are you with this guy being crucified? He said, no, I don't know that guy, right? Three times he denied Jesus at a moment when he needed him the most. He turned and walked away, but something happened. Something happened, and just a few days after the resurrection, Peter stood before thousands of people and proclaimed that Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead, and 3,000 people turned to Christ. That's the Peter he saw. It said, then the 12, who are the 12? The 12 disciples, the guys that he spent all the time with. Remember, he was with them for three years, ministering, pouring his life into them. But when the crucifixion moment came, those men were hiding in a back room. Those guys, he appeared to them. So then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. This is most likely talking about when Jesus ascended into heaven. He was before a large crowd. All these people saw him. And what I love about this is this. It says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What's he saying? Go ask them. (laughs) They're still alive. They saw the resurrection. We didn't make this story up. This is a truth you can verify. Go talk to them. 
It continues in 1 Corinthians and says this. Then he appeared to James. I love this one. I've said this before. James is the half-brother of Jesus. You remember James. James, the guy who, when Jesus was teaching, he said, my brother's a crackpot. We need to go save him. He's kind of weird and he's getting off course, right? But suddenly, everything changed. I've asked this question before. What would you have to do to convince your brother your God? Well, resurrecting from the dead is a pretty good way. And James went from being someone questioning his brother to becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he said he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, being Paul. He's saying, listen, there are all these people. You can ask them. There are witnesses. This isn't something that was just made up. So we have witnesses to the resurrection, but it's more than that because we have the history that follows this. When you look at what occurred in the decades that followed the resurrection, it's hard to ignore that something out of the ordinary happened. Do you remember, the Jesus movement died when Jesus died. The movement stopped moving. Remember the crowds that were with him? They left. Peter He's gone. The disciples, they're hiding. There was nobody outside of the tomb waiting like he's gonna raise. There's gonna be a watch party. Let's get some popcorn and we'll wait for Jesus to raise from the dead. Nah, nobody was waiting. Nobody expected him to raise from the dead. Those women that visited the tomb, they weren't looking for an empty grave. They were looking for a dead body. But something happened and everything changed You see all those disciples who were hiding, who had run away, running for their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit began to proclaim that Jesus, this Jesus who was killed had risen from the dead. Now, some people will say, well, of course they did that. The disciples would say that, why? Because they got in a room and they made up a story and then they decided to go around and tell everybody and people have been drinking the Kool-Aid ever since. The question I have is, what benefit did they get from their story? You know this, we lie when it's in our interest. We don't lie to do something just because it's not gonna give us anything, right? See, their proclamation of the, rec- of the resurrection, what did it get them? It got them beat, arrested, flogged, hung, burned, and crucified. 11 of the 12 disciples ultimately were martyred and gave their life because they proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And it happened at different times in different places. Why did they do this? Was it because they wouldn't deny the story that they made up? Listen, you got 11 guys getting killed in different places, somebody would have cracked. Somebody would have said, forget it. I just made the story up, not a real thing. No, the issue wasn't that they wouldn't deny their made up story. The issue is they couldn't deny what they had seen with their own eyes. And this movement that was completely dead, right? The completely dead began to get traction in the face of persecution. There was persecution from the religious leaders, right? These religious leaders who had Jesus crucified. Listen, they wouldn't have stopped at Jesus. They'd have had all these guys crucified. They wanted to stop this thing. They didn't think it was a good movement at all. And then you've got persecution from the Romans. You remember the Roman Empire, the ones that crucified Jesus? When you read the history books, you'll find that they crucified hundreds and thousands of people. Anybody that they deemed a threat to them, they had them killed. 
You don't think they would have killed a bunch of believers who said, listen, we don't think Caesar's king. No, we believe Jesus is Lord of all, right? But then you have to remember the heartbeat of Christianity. What is heart, is the heartbeat? It's humility, submission, turn the other cheek, lay down your life. This type of behavior doesn't stand a chance against an empire that will do anything to destroy what they deem a threat. And yet, within 300 years, the empire, empire that was hell-bent on stopping anything that stood in their way suddenly became a Christian nation. This whole Christianity thing, it should have never made it past the crucifixion. And in fact, it never should have made it past the first century. Yet here we are in the year 2020. We're not celebrating a religious system. We're not celebrating a bunch of rituals. We are celebrating the verifiable resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. His kingdom is firm. The resurrection has occurred and the church is advancing around the world. There is hope because all things are possible. But more than just simply this, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. So more than just saying, this isn't just what I am. This is what I do. He resurrects lives. And some of you need that this morning. You are experiencing the death of our world. And he says, I have come to breathe life. Zoe life. That's what our name as a church means. It is the abundant, eternal, overwhelming life that only comes through Jesus. There is hope today because Jesus is alive and the resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals God's power. But power only leads to compliance. You ever played the game Mercy before? You know, where you grab hands with somebody and you're trying to kind of wrestle them down and force them to submit. You know, you get them to tap out a little bit. That's what power does. Power leads to compliance. If God's desire was merely compliance, he could have come another way, right? He could have come in a way where we had to submit, where we didn't have a choice. But God's desire isn't just compliance. He wants your heart. And for that, I think we have to step back a couple of days. You see, Jesus didn't take a chokehold of our allegiance. He proved his love. We know the story. It starts in a garden where Jesus steps into a garden knowing the path that's before him, right? And it says that he kneels before the Father and he prays, Father, if, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to, to save and redeem and to rescue mankind, then let's do it that way. But ultimately, not my way, God. Your will be done. And out of that garden, he, he was arrested. Jesus was taken away before religious leaders. These religious leaders who, who accused him of things he hadn't done 
who degraded him. They spit on him. They called him names. They slapped him. And Jesus remained silent before them. Not because he didn't have something he could say, but because he chose not to speak. It says the next day he's brought before the Roman soldiers. And these soldiers take the king of kings, the Lord of the lords, the one who was there from the beginning, and they strip him naked before a group of people. They tie him to a pole and they begin to beat and whip his back till it is a bloody mess, tearing flesh from him. Remember, the king of kings, the one who could have stopped it, didn't. He took it for you and for me. It says they took a crown of thorns and they pressed it into his skull, not just to cause pain, but to mock him, to say, who do you think you are? And yet he was silent. Then they took this Jesus who was beaten and tired and bloodied and they put a cross on him and forced him to carry it up the hill called the place of the skull. And it was there, it was there that they take nails and pierced both of his hand. They pierced his feet and hung him on a cross between, between two criminals, a death he didn't deserve. You think about this, our Jesus took what he didn't deserve for us. Why? Because he loves us desperately. He could have stopped it. I love the song, the old song that says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have to come pull him down off that cross, but he didn't. Just like he said, he said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. And that is what he did for you and for me He laid his heart, he laid his life down for us. Why? Not because he wanted us to live out some religion or some ritual, but he wanted deep personal relationship with every one of us. He wanted our hearts. So he gave everything he had. Listen, some of us think, oh man, this God in heaven, he doesn't care about us. That couldn't be further from the truth. The God of heaven gave his one and only son. We know it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could have life. Listen, the resurrection displayed the power of, of God. But our big so what this morning is this. The cross displays the heart of God. The heart of a God who would give anything and everything to save and rescue you. The heart of the God that desires only good for you. He wants blessing for you. That's his heart. Zoe life for you. He gave his very son for that. He loves you deeply. I heard a song just a few weeks ago and it, it spoke this idea to me. And we recorded this song this week. And my prayer is, is for a moment, I want you just to stop everything. I want you to listen. And I want you to hear this song as the voice of God singing over you. Gracious to you, the Lord turn his 
thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing he is for you 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 he is for song is God speaking to you. I know it's hard to think, it's hard to imagine that the God of all creation would care about you, but he does. And that's what the cross displays. It displays God's heart for you. Why did Jesus go to a cross? Here's why, because he knew that we needed it. We needed it for salvation. Without it, there was no hope for us because we were separated from God. This perfect, holy God can't be around us who have sin in our lives. And we know that even on our best day, we're not perfect. And so Jesus came to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay for ourselves. Right now, our world is dealing with a pandemic, but there was a pandemic far before this time, one that every single one of us deals with. But Jesus dealt with that on the cross. And if we would simply respond to the heart of God, respond to a God who loves us deeply by saying, Jesus, we believe you, we receive you as our King and as our Lord. We ask you to forgive us. We lay our lives down. We surrender ourselves to you. We make you our King. If you would take that step, the Zoe life of God would be 
poured out on you. You would experience restored relationship with God in an eternal reward. But it takes a step on your part to say, God, I surrender. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is such an important to rem- reminder to, to say, God, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the hope that I have. But for those of you who are yet to respond, this could be the greatest decision you ever make in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you initiate, you pursued us to the point of a cross. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that you also rose from the dead to display your power that is available for each and every one of us. May we leave this day filled with hope, God, because of who you are and what you've done. But as we continue to pray, there's some of you that that need to make that decision to follow Jesus. I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer just like this from your heart. Dear Father, thank you so much for loving me and pursuing me. Thank you that you've done that even though I'm a sinner. I admit that I am broken. I admit that I fail, God. And I thank you that you paid a price I couldn't pay for myself. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that he is king over all and I make him my king. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and I lay myself down before you and I make myself yours completely. I I pray that you would help me to live for your glory, to give my life to you in every way. I pray that in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. If you made that decision, that is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. And we wanna join with you. We wanna help you. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you go to an email, office at zchurch.org, office at zchurch.org and just say, I received Jesus. I accepted Jesus. Just email that and I will respond and I wanna have an opportunity to come around you, to support you, to get you some resources to help you in this journey of faith. For everyone else, I got a very quick challenge for you, and it's simply this, that you would join us next Sunday as we kick off a brand new series. Uh, We're kicking off a series in the book of Philippians. And Philippians, you would say, well, that doesn't sound all that exciting. Listen, that book was written to people who are facing exactly what we're facing right now. And I know in a time where discouragement is everywhere, every week, there's gonna be encouragement and you're gonna be challenged and inspired in your faith. So I encourage every one of you join us next Sunday as we kick off that brand new series. Well, I'm gonna invite my wife, Amber, out here as uh, we wrap up this morning. Uh, Once again, we are so grateful that you are a part of things today and and we'd love it if you would go ahead and take a picture and share it so we can see all of your pretty faces. We got new outfits, look at, don't we look so good, right? (laughs) Amber bought me a new shirt love it. Uh, But we would uh, love that opportunity. Uh, But we do just want to say this. I know we've said this every week, but we really love you guys. We care about you. We think about you. We talk about you all the time. We pray for you. And we know this is a challenging season. And so if there's anything we can do to come around you and support you, just know we are here. We care about you. Your church cares about you. All right. We'll see you next Sunday. And if you can join us Tuesday night as we celebrate one year. Have a great week, guys.